Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. My name is Luke Staten. The reason behind this creation is to share words of wisdom, hope and optimism through conversation that can show us just what's possible in life. I've been truly inspired by the words I have not only listened to, but deeply heard from the people I've shared conversations with. I hope you enjoy hearing how everyday people overcome trials and tribulations and when faced with adversity, find a way to use this to their advantage. Common theme throughout, from all the different guests on the series, from wherever they are from, whatever beginning, whatever background, is they all have a desire for more from life. They all want to live a life of fulfillment. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I do creating. Thank you for joining me. Let me introduce our special guest, it's Sam Coy. I met Sam about two and a half, three years ago when I had the opportunity to go to his primary school, Benjamin Adlard at the time in Gainsborough in Lincolnshire and go and deliver an assembly to all his students. And you could tell the moment that you walked through the door that there was something special and different within that environment. And um, appears the head teacher that looks kind of young enough to still be at school back then. I remember walking in and being introduced to Sam and thinking, crikey, this guy's the head teacher. And I think he was possibly, I don't know, 27, 28, maybe something like 29 at the time. And as I walked in, I remember thinking, all these children look super happy. They're all really engaged. The parents that collecting the children at the end of school was all super like waving. It just had a really nice feel to it. And I wasn't aware at the time of, kind of the accolade and what Sam had achieved at such a young age at that school from taking it from a school that needed a lot of work, um, a lot of work. And for those that don't know the area that we're talking about, guys, the school is in a real underprivileged area. It's a really deprived environment of which the school's in, which also gives extra challenges too, as we all know, within education. And Sam took that school from needing a lot of work in terms of underperformance all the way through to becoming voted the best school in the UK, I think was in two years. I might not be accurate with that, Sam, so forgive me if I'm wrong. So to go from a school that's underperforming to winning such an accolade two years later, it fascinates me. And when I asked you the other day of kind of what's some of the reasons behind it, I just knew that people on here would learn so much from hearing about your experience but the how behind what you did, because there's lots of business people on here, there's people that's starting the businesses, there's people that's had them a long time, people that look after people, people that lead and manage themselves, their family, their employees, their team. And when you hear somebody that's achieved what you've done at such a young age, I think it would be absolutely crazy to not delve in deeper of how you did it. So before we introduce Sam, let's give him a big, massive round of applause. Everybody give him a virtual round of applause. There we go. And Sam nearly fell for my trick tonight. As he came on, I said, Sam, just so you know, that everybody that's a guest speaker, they, they just do a little song for us at the beginning. He was like, right, okay. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to go for it. I wonder what he's going to sing. So you don't have to sing, Sam, but feel free to blow. Feel free to go for it if you wish. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a miss. <laughs> How are you doing then, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's nice to be invited, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited about this because... All I keep thinking about, all I have in my mind when I think about you is the, the number 27. Because there can't be many head teachers in the UK at the age of 27, is there? 
No, I don't. No, I don't think. I mean, I never really thought about it. If I'm honest, at the time, it wasn't like uh, I'm, I'm going to tick that box. But yeah, at the time, it was. Uh, I think at, at the time, I think someone's picked me to the post now. But I think I, at the time, I was the youngest youngest person to be appointed a head teacher of a primary school at the time. So, um, which people kindly pointed out to me, but I don't think I realised until I'd already took the job, which was probably the naivety I think kicking in. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty young, I think, to to take on that role. And how, how did you get to that position at such a young age then? Was that a, a goal? Was that the dream as a youngster or how did it happen? No, I suppose I, I've always kind of been ambitious, I think, in terms of jobs that I've done. So any job that I, I kind of worked out or, 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 you know, any challenge that I've taken on, I, I've tried kind of my best to do the absolute best that I can. Um, I'm a bit sneaky in that as well, though, because uh, I must admit, if there's something that I think I'm not going to be very good at, I try and tend to give it a bit of a miss. Um, but yeah, it... I started off, um, ironically, I, you know, I didn't do amazingly well at school, actually, which is, I shouldn't really admit it as a teacher, but it wasn't really my, uh, my the best place in the world for me, I must admit. And then I uh, kind of left school and, and went to um, work with some like a landscaping company and did a bit of landscaping and, and bits and pieces and then um, went back to school because I kind of realised that I'd probably messed up leaving it in the middle of sixth form and I pleaded with them to let me go back and they, they made a bit of a deal with me that... Um, as long as I went and helped out at the primary school in my free period so they could get rid of me annoying everyone that I would, uh, you know, that I could come back to school. And I went and worked at one of the local primary schools and started supporting a couple of kids on kind of a one-to-one basis and really enjoyed it and, and did quite well. I then bottled going to university again because I thought it was, you know, I, I wasn't really ever set out to kind of go to uni and and, and that was kind of not really my, my route. But I had a bit of time out again and, and then I went to work as a teaching assistant in my old secondary school and, and again did the same job and, and people said to me like you really ought to give this a go so I applied for my primary education degree and I didn't have the grades to get on so I had to sweet talk them a little bit and just say look you've got to take me on experience rather than the grades and um, luckily they did which was which was really kind of them um, and then obviously when I got to uni I think I decided what I wanted to do so I worked really hard and tried, tried my best to kind of do as well as I could in the assignments I mean there's always that one person that one of my best friends could always do it the night before and got first um, but you know and I, I struggled away but I got my 2-1 from there and then started off working obviously in a primary school that was quite local to where I lived did a couple of years there it was quite a nice school nice area and um, quite you know it was in Coddington so near Newark and it was quite a nice village school um, and after two years of that the head teacher was leaving and I kind of was getting a bit bored of working with those types of kids I've done a lot of their sport and things with the children but fancied another challenge and his mate down the, the road was a head teacher and he, his school had just gone into kind of what they call notice to improve at the time so they needed some teachers so I got offered that challenge I did a couple of years there which was was great um, and and we, we worked hard with the school and, and got it out of kind of the situation it was in. He he then went to retire and, and somebody else kind of asked me if I wanted to go and be a what we called like a lead practitioner in the school. So I was supporting at the Priory in Lincoln. So that was like training teachers and working on improving teaching. But I was part of SLT, like the senior leadership team, but I wasn't obviously a, a deputy or a head. And the lady that interviewed me for, for that job, um, she, she didn't work at the school. She was supporting them at the time. A year later, Benjamin Adlard came up and it was um, head teacher role. She was kind of supporting it as a role of the trust. So she uh, rang, rang the head that I was working for and just said, do you think Sam will come and have a look around? So I kind of naively did and probably was a little bit kind of, you know, buoyed by the fact that somebody thought I could do the job. But I didn't really necessarily think about what that meant. And um, so I went along all kind of happy and, you know, yeah, I can do this. And, 
it'll, it'll work. And I hadn't probably really considered depth of the challenge at the time. Um, but went went to start there and, and rocked up on there. Well, ironically, I, they had to kind of make a bit of a, a bit of a kind of agreement. Um, so the pupils do the SATs test in year six, and I was supporting the year six class at the time. So they told me that I could leave on the Friday after the SATs finished and started at the school on the Monday. So I had a weekend to prepare. So it wasn't even like starting at the start of the year or a holiday. So it was like weekend to prepare, get yourself in. So I rocked up on the Monday. Um, yeah, and that, and that was where it went from there. So it was... Uh, wow. It was it was quite a challenge there. Yeah. You said you said earlier on in your conversation there, you said that people said to you watching you saying maybe you should kind of take this seriously about becoming a teacher. What is it you think that they saw in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself back then? <clears throat> I think so I think sometimes with teaching it gets a little bit confused because a lot of people base it on, you know, academic ability. Um, and and yeah, obviously there's an, an element an element to that but in, in primary school you know it's um and, and secondary school you, you can learn all of that stuff on the way really I, I think it's all down to relationships and what I had at, from that point I think was a real ability to develop those relationships particularly with some of those difficult children um, and be able to get kids that other people couldn't get them to engage to engage in in learning or you know build that relationship so I, they kind of believed in what I was saying and I could make the like, agreements with them and stuff and we, we could get them through so I think it was probably that that initially it was that ability to build those strong relationships with the children and, and staff members that I think kind of shown as a what they saw as a, a talent that I should pursue really. But I had I'd never considered it. If I'm honest, growing up, if anyone had asked me if I was going to be a teacher, it'd been the, the last job in the world. I think I would have said that I would have ended up doing so. Well, especially when your own experience at school wasn't a wonderful one in terms of loving every day, you know, and, and then the next minute you're the teacher that you was probably causing chaos for. <laughs> do you think there's a part of that which is why when you said there that you built rapport really quickly and, and really fast with some of the more challenging children do you think that's possibly because you could relate to them yeah I think I think so and I think uh, you know that element of so a lot a lot of the time with children it's that you know they're, they're kind of a bit bored or you know they're you know they want to they want to be seen within their social group or they've got the pressures of you know peer pressure and stuff and the things that they need to stand out like in front of the crowd almost and I suppose I could link up to some of those things and it was just that ironically without even realizing you were doing it, it was almost coaching the children through um, and and kind of talking to them on a level that you know you know that they could relate to and, and, and encouraging them to kind of invest in in the learning or in in stuff that was happening in school so um yeah I think I think that was probably it yeah and can you remember what the dream was for you as a kid oh I had loads I mean <laughs> yeah I think I went from being in the RAF to a chartered surveyor uh, I did my work experience a chartered surveyor I think I, at one point I was going to be an auctioneer selling livestock at a market um I don't know <laughs> where did that come from <laughs> my, my dad was um my dad was a shepherd so basically uh when, when we were younger we spent time on the farm and there was no way that I was going to be standing outside in the farm like when it was freezing <laughs> all that so I just basically looked at the only job in that environment that I thought I could make money from without getting you know absolutely freezing cold every week so I'd convinced my dad that that was the best option and you know so that that that, that was a goal at one point I think that's amazing so your dad was a shepherd yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Wow. So what, what does that actually entail? I've always been interested in this. And I've never, ever asked a question because I thought maybe I should know what that is. I mean, I'd like to say it was really exciting, but it's just looking after sheep. So, so, no, so basically just had, you know, um, he had his own sheep that he kind of worked with. And then people sent them down from all over the country because where it's really cold in the winter, 
Um, obviously, Lincolnshire and stuff's not quite as cold, so they send some of those animals from up north and you look after them and then send them back. But, you know, it, it really wasn't that exciting and there was no way I was going down that route. So, There's <laughs> probably people thinking, I'm really excited to join in this conversation tonight to find out from Sam some of these <laughs> kind of golden nuggets in leadership and how to rally the troops. And Luke's asking him about kind of <laughs> what it takes to be a shepherd. Well, I'm going to stay on the shepherd thing just for one minute because I mean I'm in, I'm inquisitive of certain things and how how do they how do they get like when you watch it on the TV or something and you see these dogs doing all it how does the how does a shepherd get the dogs doing that work like that? It's just you spend hours with them. It's just constant training and 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 to be fair like they have this I mean everyone else is probably gonna be switching off in a minute Luke um but yeah basically they they kind of use they have dogs that are kind of trained and then obviously when they breed so they, they, they come in with a certain element of understanding almost of what they're doing but yeah it's just lots of hard work and constantly you know taking them out and training them putting them with dogs that already know what they're doing and learning off them so it's it's kind of pretty similar to us really I think. <laughs> yeah and that's a good point there and that's the relation that I'm making in my mind when you talked about training there you know you talked about the training the time and the effort that goes into making that job look so simple and I remember when I spoke to you the other day, you were saying around, I said, how do you get a school from underperforming to performing as fast as you did? And you said something that I thought was magic. You said for the first six weeks when I went in there, I didn't do anything other than observe and build relationships. And, and just, just share with the group of where did, because you only had like a weekend really to, to kind of, yeah. where did you come up with that concept to do that? I think partly it came down to, to like you said, the start of being so young. So I went in there um, and just a little bit of context to school. So Benjamin Adlard was a school that ever since Ofsted had existed, had always been a failing school. So over like loads of leadership, it just been a constantly failing, failing school. But the staff had been, always been pretty loyal there. So they'd stayed for a long time. And, and, and Gaines was not a place where recruitment's particularly easy, particularly to a school that's renowned for failure. So um I had that in the back of my mind and I think I realised that like going in and like Luke said that I looked like I should still be there. I mean, when I went to my first staff meeting, I'm pretty sure all the all the teachers were sat there with their well, I know they were because I was watching, and their arms folded almost thinking, God, this boy, you know, he hadn't even started shaving yet, and now he's coming in to tell us what to do. It's another person coming in to tell us what to do. So I was quite aware of that. Um, and I think I realised very quickly that, you know, it wasn't ever going to be one of those schools. I mean, some of the big academy trusts have gone into schools and, you know, they've been in areas like London and stuff and, you know, they, they can recruit staff in. So they've gone in and they've just wiped everybody out and rebuilt with new staff. But that was never that was never going to work there. And equally, that wouldn't have been a job that I'd have taken on because it, it wasn't really what I believed in. Um, so I kind of realised that I needed to get staff on the side and, and build trust. And I, I think that thing in my head was just trust. I've got to get these people to trust me and believe in me um, in order for me to get them to do anything that I need them to do. So I, I kind of told myself for the first six weeks, like Luke said, that I just was not going to say anything negative unless it affected child safety. So obviously safeguarding things, you know, you have to step in. But as I walked around the school, I had like, I can remember I had notes and notes and notes that I, I didn't write in front of them, by the way, because that would have just been a bit off putting walking in the classroom, pretending to say positive things and, and writing those notes down. But you have all those mental notes that you're taking as you go around and you're almost building your plan of, of where the school's going to go. And um, so when I went in, I just used to pick up on the positives. But I think what was really important with that is it was picking up on things they were actually doing well. You know, like some people over do the positive things and, and they say positive things to people, even when it's not positive, And then it's really hard to come back from that 
Um, but for me, I just wanted to focus on when I saw them doing something really, really good, I'd point it out to them. Um, and after about six weeks, that, that was really good because I built that relationship with staff and, and staff were almost starting to go, well, he's not here just to kind of suck us all. He's not here to, you know, rip into everybody over every little thing. Um, and then I was able to start to feel it, feeding some, well, that was really good. But if you tried this, that might be a little bit better. Or if we worked on this together as a team, we could work on this area. Um, and staff kind of bought into that and it, it was really positive. And, and that, I suppose, was probably one of the key points, I think, for, for turning the school around. Because um, the staff there were brilliant. They just, the leadership over time had just been poor and they had not got any direction. There was no consistency. They hadn't had, you know, the CPD and the training that they should have had. So it was about trying to tailor all their skills, putting them into the right places so that it could be effective and then uh, and taking it from there. And, um, you know, luckily, you know, fingers crossed for us, it, it, well, for me, I suppose, because I would have been sacked, I think, but it went, re- it went really well. So, you know, that, that was a positive thing. And those staff have still stayed. Um, turnover of staff is, has been so limited. I mean, the only people that have left um, in the last six years have been people that have, have moved on to bigger and better things or because their husbands had to move for his job or something. But, you know, and, and recruitment wise, they, they talk about a recruitment crisis in primary, but when we put out a job advert, we get, you know, loads and loads of applications of people wanting to come and work at the school. So it, it kind of moves, I think, with the ethos of, of trying to remain positive over things. So in that six weeks, then you're observing and you're seeing things and you're highlighting and you're writing them down of areas that you feel that they could do things differently. How challenging was it to not kind of speed the process up? It was killing me. I was literally because I'm not one of those people. So, uh, you know, if I, I like to get things done quickly and in the back of my head, I was really telling myself that if, you know, if you go too quickly with this, you're going to lose everyone. So it was a case of. Like I literally had to just go back into the office, shut the door and like, hide under the table for 10 minutes while I like restructured my brain around going back out and being positive again. Because th- there was lots of stuff to be negative about. And I, I, you know, I could have done that, I suppose. But I just knew that gauging the staff and the, and the personalities that were there, that it was going to be more effective to get the buy-in from people first. And, and that's the same with the kids. You know, like I suppose and that came from my ethos in the classroom, really, as a teacher, because, you know, first few weeks, it's about building those relationships and, and building that trust with the children. And after that, you can do what you want with them. You know, like you, you've got them, them, those things in place. But you know, if you go in in the first day and start, you know, laying certain, you know, expectations on children or not understand them or not getting to find out about their favourite football team and what they enjoy and all of those things, you, you lose the kids and you lose the class for the rest of the year. So, you know, it's, um, I think, I think probably, the back of my head it was basically just using the theory as being a class teacher to moving it towards adults really so then you get to the six weeks and you've got all these notes of areas of development how do you then start to approach people that you've been really positive so all they've seen is these positives of well done you're doing that really well and now you want to subtly start to go can we shift it rather than you dictating and telling them what to do it sounds to me like you wanted them to be a part of that change and see it how did you go about that process so I suppose that, that for me has always been the kind of second step for me. And one of the things that I, you know, I'm a big believer in, 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 in anything. And I suppose, I mean, obviously my experience in education, but I'm guessing this works, you know, in business or in any area really is that I think there's an element of telling the story that you want something to be rather than telling the story of what it is. So, you know, we started to move to that whole kind of approach of talking to the staff about actually where they wanted the school to be. It'd been on this journey for such a period of time, people thought this about the school, but actually what did we want them to think about the school? What did we, you know, want to be known for? What did we, what was the, like, the legacy that we wanted to create at that school? 
Um, and that opened up the opportunity to talk about some of those difficult things about what we weren't quite doing very well um, and, and starting to put that into a structured plan around the things that were going to have the most impact in the quickest period of time. So, you know, picking out the things that were the biggest things that were going to impact on the children um, and, and, and kind of taking those first and then slowly drip feeding that in and then starting to put the finishing touches on it. And I think that's important. You can't do everything all in one go. You almost have to do that staged approach but it's picking the things that are going to be the biggest things that are going to have the hugest impact, I think, first. And then you can work on the, the finishing touches later. Um, but yeah, so so that was... That's really that interesting. Was. So what you did then, you talked about how you wanted to be rather than what you were doing wrong. You talked about what you want to be and then that highlighted where the gap was, was it? Yeah, and we've kind of grown that. So we, we've grown it with the children. So in the first instance, when we started to do that, I, I told the children they were the, in the school because the staff obviously in assemblies and stuff, and that's a great way to do it because you can talk to the staff through the children without them knowing. Um, just don't tell them and that's what I do. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, so we started off by talking to the children about how we were the, the best school in Lincolnshire. I mean, we weren't. We were one of the worst schools in the country, but, you know, that that wasn't the story we told and we you know we told the children we were the best school in Lincolnshire um, and then after things started to get a bit better I said oh we've achieved being the best school in Lincolnshire <clears throat> we're now going to aim to be the best school in the Midlands and then after that I was like we're going to be the best school in England and then obviously we won the award which was amazing so that kind of proved it I mean that was just more luck I think than, than, than good judgment but um, yeah and then then we went on to being the best school in the world and we're not quite there yet, but we're aiming to be the best school in the world. And the kids always used to say that. And now we actually say we're the best school in the world. And the kids constantly talk about being the best school in the world. And you know, if you came in and asked them, what what are we? They'd be like, well, we're the best school in the world. And they have that absolute confidence and belief. And they, 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 they like invite visitors to look at the award and stuff like that. And they, they kind of wear it as that badge of honour that we are the best school in the world. They tell people they go to the best school in the world and a little bit by a little bit that goes into the staff because the staff almost start to believe that as well and they go along with it and it actually adds that layer of pressure onto staff without being horrible but you know they've got something to live up to and when people start talking about them being the best then there's an element of aspiring and, and, and making sure you are so I think bit by bit you just filter those expectations and build them up until you get you know that story of where you want to be and we just constantly retell that story all the time um, and, and constantly go over that story to the children, you know, walking down the corridor. If someone's not doing it properly, you know, that's not what we're doing, the best school in the world. And it just it just becomes part of, you know, everyday expectations. So. Incredible. So you've got, so what you did, very similar to what a business does, it creates the vision of where they want to get to. They're, they've got the mission of why they're doing it. They're, they're all that focused. And then if somebody's behavior is out of a line today, it highlights really well because like, well, that's not what we do if we're the best in the world. That's not the behavior that's going to get us to that place. So it, I guess what it does, it highlights really quickly the behaviors that aren't going to work within your environment. And how did, did you get any challenges with teachers that have maybe been like been a certain way for so long? And then you've got this big vision of what you want, but you've got these some teachers that have done it a certain way for so long and you're trying to shift them. Did you get yeah. any kickback from that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the story even starts before that so um i remember being given the job um and the, the kind of they said to me you can come in and do a a parents kind of um evening before you start to introduce yourself so i was like really kind of excited about that as you can imagine quite young and naive thinking you know that everyone was going to turn up at the hall and i was going to be able to do this winston churchill-esque speech to everyone about how we we're going to turn the school around and i'd spent hours and hours writing it and checking it and preparing it um 
So I turned up to the school and they'd obviously sent out the letter to the parents asking them to attend. And I was thinking it was going to be absolutely packed because the school's been in special measures. You know, parents can be really unhappy with the quality of education. It's been failing. I got there, set up my you know PowerPoint, got everything ready, stood there, just looking at the door. Um, and three parents turned up and all of them were teaching assistants from the school. So, <laughs> so that went really out. out of the whole school. Yeah, it was just three teaching assistants that got kids there that turned up, not one parent turned up. So it turned from a uh, from a speech to a chat and a cup of tea. Um, and <laughs> I think that set the president of uh, where, where it was going to be in the job, really. I think that was when the first time properly that I've really kind of realised how difficult it, it might be. Um, and then that, that progressed. So, you know, obviously the first staff meeting you do, you did exactly the same thing. Um, and Mrs. Wisdom, she, she wouldn't, she won't mind me mentioning her, actually. You know, she's a... She's a bit of a hero actually now, but she was a teaching assistant in year six. And I remember doing the same thing, standing in front of the staff, starting to talk about just a couple of things that we were going to change from the start, you know, just around planning, really simple things. And she absolutely crucified me um, in my in my first staff meeting. I just like, well, we can't do that. We won't be looking at that on Sunday. Don't get paid to do that. And I can remember just thinking, wow, I've got my work cut out here, but managed to, to deflect, deflect that one a little bit. Um, and then the same, a couple of staff, you know, they were obviously quite... How did you do that, Sam, just with Mrs. Whitt? How did you get, from that first meeting, when that individual's being kind of rebelling against what you're talking about, your first meeting, you're stood there, you know, with all these ideas, and someone's going, well, I don't get paid for that, I'm not doing that. How, how did you manage to get her on board? I think, obviously, firstly, I, I tried a little bit of humour with her, um, and, and that kind of got a few of the staff on board, so kind of like, oh, Miss Wisdom, this is going to be a long few years for me, in it? and it was kind of like, and she she chuckled away, and and to be honest, the first thing I said is, okay, that, that's fair enough, I, I get what you're saying, tell me how it could be better, and she went, well, what about if we, we did this, um, and I was like, yeah, okay, that'll work. I mean, it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but it was definitely better than what I was going to get from the from the reaction from that, so, you know, we, we worked on that, and I think that was a learning curve for me there, actually. And one of the things that I, I always try and do is every time I'm planning a new initiative or something that we're going to do new, I think about who's going to be the most negative. Um, and I know that's an awful way of looking at it. But I think about who's going to be the most negative. And then I wander down to the corridor and I go, oh, come here. I've just got an idea. It's massive manipulation. But I say, like, pop in, just let's have a chat. I've got this idea. And I, what I'm planning, I think it's rubbish. What do you think? And I kind of try and almost coach and manipulate them to agree and think that what I'm going to say is what I, you know, what they think. And then I, when I start the staff meeting, I say, oh, I spoke to such and such about it. They thought it was a brilliant idea. And then straight away, they're kind of in the balance of supporting you. Um, and you know that you've got your most negative person on board. So it's that, um, I suppose it's that kind of really thinking through everything you're going to do and, and the reactions that you're going to get and just trying to work out, you know, how best to counteract that by using some of that negativity, turn it into positivity before you put it out to a bigger group. And, you know, that's something that I've always tried to do. And it seems to have worked, worked quite well with staff. I mean, obviously we still, you know, you still get your grumbles and names. I mean, the teachers at the end of the day, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, it, on, a, on a whole, you know, we've got a good, good group of staff and actually now the staff are just so bought into, like I say, the, the story and the vision of the school and doing such a good job for the kids that, if anything, they're probably more critical now than what I am. They're the ones that are always chomping at the bit to change things. And I'm going, oh, we don't need to do that yet. Let's just wait. We don't need to do it until you know, a couple of weeks. And they're going, no, no, he's doing now. So, you know, you kind of eventually start to step back and let them lead it. And, and, and then you just oversee it and kind of pull the strings a little bit. It's incredible that. And I think something you're doing there is something I teach people and to be able to 
to be able to stand there at such a young age and then to be challenged like that in front of your whole team on your first staff meeting by Miss Wisdom that then comes at you with, we can't do that, we're not getting paid for it. So then to you throw that back to, okay, what do you think? How could we do it differently? And it's a really clever thing there because you're then given a bit of ownership. So then she feels a part of it more, doesn't she, to then have input rather than you saying, well, I'm sorry, I'm the boss, you're going to do it because then you've got this all the time and she's in the staff room giving it this and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So you kind of utilise that as a way to get her on board by giving her some power within what she'd said. And, and I think what you talked about there in terms of who's going to cause me the biggest challenge in the biggest area, getting them on board by sharing something with them so they feel a part of it. So now they're, they're on board with you. And I think that's a really great way of doing it. And, you know, use the word manipulate. I, I think that's a really empowering thing to do is going to people and going, listen, this is what I'm thinking. What's your thoughts? And now I'm feeling a part of it. So I'm going to back you. And do you know what I mean? I think that's such a clever thing. Did you learn this then? Or was it just thinking on your feet all the time? Where did this come from? Because a lot of guys will run huge companies all over the world that wouldn't know this of how to do it, especially at 27 stood there when Miss Wisdom wants to give you some grief. Yeah, um, I, I, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I mean, that coming back to that word manipulate, I know everyone thinks it's a bit of a swear word, but I think it should be seen as more of a positive word, actually, because I think most people in some ways want that because it, it, it kind of, like you say, it brings into that ownership. And if it's done in a, a fair way, I suppose that, you know, is, is absolutely right. Um, in terms of like learning things and stuff, I suppose you learn from your previous bosses. So, you know, I, I, I've i worked for some, you know, well, every single head teacher I've worked for, to be fair, has been great in their own way. Um, but they all had different strengths and, and people in, that I was working with all, all had different strengths. And obviously, I think because I hadn't just been in education, I'd worked like, with landscape company, I'd worked, you know, in, in Next and, and stuff like that and different bits and pieces and jobs. You kind of learn from those bosses and managers that you've had that you, in, what I've always tried to do is look at what they've done and take the positives. So, you know, my, my second head teacher was absolutely rubbish at data, rubbish at planning everything, organising stuff. He'd openly admit that. But do you know what? He was the kindest, had the best relationships with parents and kids that I've ever seen. So you take that bit from him. The one previously was really good at planning and kind of structure. So you take that bit from him. And you almost try and look at the things that they do well and try and build them into your own personal skill set and the things you're comfortable with. Um, and, you know, like the best boss I ever worked for was the guy that I used to waiter in the pub. You know, he was he was the most amazing boss that I had ever worked for when I was 16, you know, and I learned so much just from the way that he ran his business and just the way that he absolutely valued stuff and talked about the excellence of, of the business that he ran. So it's trying to take all of those little bits, I think, but at the same time, not losing your personality. Um, and I think if you try and be somebody else, you can take the attributes of other people and try and develop them and fit them into your own. But if you try and be someone else, that's where you go wrong because, you know, I can't be that horrendously horrible person that walks in and screams and shouts at people. I wouldn't want to be, but I, I can't, you know, and I think there's an element of that kind of empathy and understanding alongside the things that you're trying to achieve that also adds into the picture of, you know, you as a leader. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I've always thought. So like even coming back to Miss Wisdom that day when she was shouting at me, even though it was really difficult, um, I was kind of trying to be resilient in my head because I was thinking they've had like, 20 years of being told the crap and um, yeah you know, absolutely rubbish everyone that comes in tells them they've got to do things differently so i'm thinking if i was sat there after 20 years of that i'd be pretty frustrated as well so you know what what reason did she have to believe that i was going to do anything different so it's it's 
and that comes back to then that proving yourself, doesn't it? And 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 kind yeah. of leading example and and showing people the way, really, I suppose, and, and willing to do things that you know. It's that theory about not willing to ask someone to do something you won't, won't be willing to do yourself. So um, yeah, linked into that, I think. I think also there, what you talk about is really, really amazing. And I, I know people will be making the links here that when you, when you talk about empathy and understanding that, you know, Miss Wisdom's words are coming from somewhere. It's probably a place that I really care about this job. Yet I'm really not happy with the way it's been run. And how are you going to change it? Because I've gone through all this for so long. So rather than attacking the words of the person that's coming at you a little bit, it's asking, where is that coming from? And you've done really well in that moment to be kind of articulate enough to go, that might be coming from somewhere that's a place of caring and a place of really wanting to do well. So I'm not going to come at you and try and stamp my authority because you've not stood there with ego going, well, hold on a minute, don't you speak to me like that. I'm the boss now. And Because you could have easily had that, being such a young age, you had that kind of inferiority of, I'm young anyway, so I've now got to overshow that I'm the boss. Where you've done the opposite and, You've got them on board by the strategies that you've implemented there. It's like you go to leadership school and learn them things because it's not, not common. And I work with lots of people and lots of businesses and it, it isn't common. And I think they often say excellence is hidden. And I think your excellence is very hidden because there's no doubt about it. I'm speaking to you. You're an elite. You're, an, you're a high performer in life because to learn as a 16-year-old kid, what the guy in that business is talking about at 16 as your waiter and to take bits from him, take bits from her, him and disregard and then implement with keeping the identity of who you are. I mean, that is a kind of a real gift. Who was your, you know, growing up, did you see this happen? It was like, what was your upbringing like? Where did you kind of learn this way? Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, I, I was quite, I'd say I was quite fortunate, obviously, in, in upbringing. So we, we didn't have a lot of money. So I talked about, obviously, my dad being a shepherd, but he did just work, you know, for other people. Um, you know, and my mum was a care assistant in nurse name. So we, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have lots of money, but we did have a strong family. So there's me and, you know, my, my brother um, are really close and, and my mum and dad, you know, have, have stayed together. And, you know, we've, we've had quite a settled um, upbringing like that. Um, I think money was always a, a thing. So, you know, we were always struggling a little bit. So that was always at the back of my mind that I needed to be 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 kind of successful. I think one of the things that links in actually talking back to the, the shepherd thing. So I, people will probably remember that was the foot and mouth outbreak um, happened, um, you know, when I was about 12, 13. Um, and that was a massive thing. So my dad had just set up his own business over the last two or three years and was starting to kind of build his way up on that. Um, and all the livestock had to be put down uh, and it kind of ruined him really because he wasn't he wasn't far enough up with the, with the business at that time so he, he was really struggling he had to make a decision between um, either kind of folding the business and doing something else he got offered a job running a, a landscape company um, or, or trying to rebuild it um, and my mum had just been offered a promotion at work from being a care assistant she'd done the secretary um, and then she was just being offered the position of being an admin and she like lead admin in a nursing home so she she took took that role on and they made the decision that my mum was going to progress her career slightly and my dad was going to take a slight sideward step which was I suppose quite an eye-opener really because it, it hadn't always been that way um, and then my mum progressed on so she became training manager general manager um, and now is like a, a kind of regional director and she's worked you know really hard and you know my dad's been done done equally as well best not slating too much or you know if he's listening i'll be in trouble um but yeah so he's done 
Uh, so she's done really, really well. So I suppose seeing her aspire and, and kind of pushing us in that way um, and kind of encouraging us in that way um, was, was really helpful, I think. And that was probably where it stemmed from. And probably sometimes a little bit too hard on myself because she was very much like, well, if you if you've been, you know if you got a B, why you know why didn't you get an A rather than well done for getting a B? Um, but you know that aspiration and that kind of um, push and desire to push forward, I think probably started to shape that interest in being ambitious and trying to achieve at that age. And but you know I was still I was still pretty wayward. I was still pretty lost as to where I was going to go. And then I always kind of say that teaching found me rather than me finding teaching really. And and it just fell into place, I suppose. And, you know, I, I have worked, it's hard because you don't want to be, um, you know, you don't want to say too much, but I have worked really hard in, in every job that I've had. So, you know, I think every head teacher that I, you know, worked for when I, you know, before I was a leader would say that I would be the first one there in the morning, the last one there to leave. I mean, I had keys at both the schools because I used to be there still marking and doing stuff and working with other teachers. Um, and I used to run all the clubs on the Saturdays and Sundays because that was a good way to get to know all the kids across school. So any kids come into my class, you know, I'd already got relationships with. So I've invested in in that element of my career because I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed what I got from it. Um, and I suppose that's just then what led led to, to where I got, got to really. But I think it was more, hadn't got a set out vision. I wasn't one of those people who came in and went, right, I'm going to be ahead at that age and this is what's going to happen. Um, it's just kind of happened as it's gone along and you know try to enjoy the journey a little bit as it's gone I suppose. So you learnt a lot from your parents in terms of sacrifice of your dad deciding to take a, a decision with his job because of the family and the financial which takes a lot of courage to do that your mum's striving and so you, you've learnt loads there from lost to bouncing back to and it's amazing what you see isn't it and you subconsciously you're, you're seeing it you're learning from it and you've got the ability to watch and learn and apply, which is an amazing thing. When you, when you look at it now and you sit here, what obviously the accolade of winning school of the year is amazing. What's one of the biggest breakthroughs you've seen with a child that maybe was going the wrong way or not doing so well because of their upbringing, the background that you've gone, my goodness, this is why I'm here. Yeah, so I mean, Benjamin Adler's is an absolutely incredible school, and it, it, I know I say like the best school in the world, but it genuinely is. Like the, the kids that we have there, like Luke mentioned at the start, so they're like seventy percent of them are you know pupil premium, so that means they're from a family that are on benefits, and 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 probably twenty five percent of the other children are on that borderline where they don't quite qualify for benefits, but actually, and sometimes uh, often probably poorer than some of the families that that do. Um, you know, so with that comes quite a lot of social problems. So, you know, we, we have, um, you know, quite a lot of issues around drugs and alcohol and, and, and all of those issues as well. On top of that, with where the school is in Gainsborough, um, it's also in what what we call in that education, a really mobile area. So um, where the school is, it's really low cost rentals. Um, and what's happened over a period of time is those houses used to be for industry. Uh, they've been bought up by landlords that have bought streets of, of houses that don't live in the area and then they rent them out at a really low cost and, and basically what happens is anyone that can't get a council house doesn't get a reference ends up getting one of those houses in in, in that area because they, they did, I think it's a 50 pound deposit and 200 pound a month or something rent so it's it's really cheap Um, we've also got a traveler site on one end of the uh, estate and a woman's refuge that send their children to us so what happens is lots of children come and go. So uh, at that school, we've got 235 pupils on roll. Over the last two years, um, we've had 181 children come and go. 
So not children that leave at the end of year six to go to secondary school and not children that join in reception, but just mid-term movements of children just leaving or coming to the school. So that's obviously massive and doesn't really happen in, in, in many, you know, many, many schools really, apart from some of the coastal schools where, you know, you've got traveller families coming and going at summer periods and stuff. But yeah, so that's huge. That does impact massively on some of the challenges in, in keeping up to date with families. Um, we've equally got, so out of the 230 children, 87 children are, are open to what we call child in need or child protection or team around the child. So with social service involvement, which is a ridiculous amount. Um, and, you know, 40% of them are on the SEM register. So all of those things come into to massive things but one of the things we've done with with the school is and behavior was a huge problem when we started and it, 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 it was chaos actually i remember the first monitoring inspection that we well the monitoring inspection before i started on the monday i went and visited on the thursday and the, the inspector at the time was doing like a, a first review visit um, and at that period of time what happened is if the school if i hadn't been starting on the monday and the school wasn't getting a new head they were going to remove it from the trust and, and rebroker it to a, a, another trust so she she gave me one opportunity really she said you've got three months and ironically what you were saying at the start Luke about people thinking you were young she was the first person to put that in place because she just went you boy you've got a lot of work to do and I was like oh charming um but yeah so she uh she she came in um and you know it was it was massive turnaround and, and a massive kind of um response needed but kids were running down the corridor when the inspectors were knocking the stuff out of their hands and shouting ha ha and stuff like that it was it was chaos there was chairs going everywhere classrooms were just a nightmare so that was the first thing we worked on and actually over a while so we went from the school at the time had 65 um, fixed term exclusions in in the eight months leading up to before I started in that academic year and um, for the past four years, we haven't done any fixed term exclusions. So we've gone from 65 to zero. So we've, we've just, you know, we haven't been wow. excluded, we haven't needed to. Um, but we've, we've also started to talk about one child in particular. And um, we took a boy from a school that was in quite an affluent area in, in Lincoln. Um, and he was going to be put into what they call the PRU, the Pupil Referral Unit. Um, and parents really didn't want him to go. Um, and I knew the head teacher from that school. So she rang me and just said, could we do anything with him? So we started to come to our forest school a couple of days a week um, to begin with, just as kind of respite. And we built those relationships with him. Um, and then we got what they call an education healthcare plan, which just was kind of some support for him around funding. Um, and I chose to take him at our school. So we took him for the next two years um, and we did some really great work with him. And he, he left at the end of year six, having not been excluded. You know, we started at mainstream secondary school. Um, and it was a massive turnaround and you know he wasn't one of what we'd call our predominant children because he was from a really different type of family but actually it was a really massive turnaround for us in in terms of his attitude and behavior but we did we did quirky things with him as well to be fair so he'd got a massive thing about his sister was still going to his school so he came to our school and he was a bit like worried about when they were picking him up and going to events what people would say about the fact he'd been kicked out so I wrote a letter to his class basically saying he'd been coming to us for a couple of days um, he was an awesome, awesome lad. We needed him at our school. Could we take him on a football transfer almost for a couple of, you know, I've paid, I've paid the head teacher a couple of grand um, and <laughs> he's come to us. And and like the, the teacher read that out in his class and they were like, oh, right, okay, they've took Charlie. So we kind of tried to retain that, even that positive element for him when he was going back to his old school. Um, you know, and it worked really well and, you know, he, he did amazing. Um, what a great move that was. What a great tactic you used there. So rather than he's been excluded, we've signed him as a super yeah. signing track and all of a sudden he's feeling like, wow, isn't yeah. he? It's 
it's such a great thing that the how how you perceive yourself is so important isn't it so the kids gone from kind of getting a lot of bother and things not going so well not really wanting trying to get rid of him to all of a sudden being signed you know i'm i'm now feeling like i've got to be this person because i'm I, i i'm being talked about in this way and i often think that if you've got a kid in school and this is the same with adults in businesses too that if you've got somebody that behaves a certain way and starts to get a bit of a name for that and a reputation for that, very hard for them to break it when they're still in that environment because they play up to it, don't they? It's like a business. You know, you've got the guy that walks in every morning that's really moody and miserable. And then all of a sudden one day he starts high-fiving people. It's hard for him to do or her to do because it's like people are going, are you all right? Like it's hard to change that stigma that you've got. You've given him the platform to do that. And I think that's an amazing thing. And, how do you get children that's running down corridors, knocking things out of people's hands, throwing chairs everywhere? How do you get children from there to actually becoming the best school in the country? Like, is it the teaching? Is it how you talk to the children? Or is it a mixture of everything? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a, obviously it's an element, a mixture of everything. But we massively, my, my ethos has always been relationships. So, you know, I, I've kind of said, you know, this is sometimes people try and set up a, a school or an organisation to where, they almost they don't relate to the community and the needs of the area so particularly in schools you know we're talking about the kids that are coming into our school you know the, the lives that they've got they're not going to be your stereotypical you know primary children turn up with their long socks on and the book bag are they so it's you know you've got to create your environment to fit the local community whilst still giving children aspiration to get more you know and you know, even little things like we, we developed the forest school, which is a huge success. They're a massive learning area with like tree houses. And, you know, we've got kids as, as young as six using power drills and stuff like that, you know, and, and trying to kind of build into some of their practical elements and, and some of the things that they enjoy and getting them ready to learn. I think was part of it. Consistency was massive as well. So, you know, as I talk about kind of the leadership stuff of it. One of the things that I talk to the children is about, and, and that came into the story. Well, if we're going to be the best school in Lincolnshire, we can't have untidy cloakrooms. So like, if you came to the school, the kids would be like, Mr. Coy's obsessed with cloakrooms. And it sounds like a really stupid thing. But I think if you walk in and you look at the cloakroom and there's all bags and coats chucked all over the floor, then that's already telling someone the message of what they're going to get when they get into the room. So, you know, we started with little things like that, like taking pride of your little area that you're responsible for, you know, making sure it's tidy. And I used to do like cloakroom inspections every day. And like, I'd do them in a humorous way, you know, like if, if there was something on the I'd come in with a coat and I'd be like, you've left your name on it, your wally, like, you know, go and hang it up. But it actually became part of it. And the kids started to take, that again, that ownership. And then we moved that onto things like, you know, holding the doors open, which some people would talk about as being kind of quite old fashioned. But for our kids, it was really important, like that element of just respecting people walking through the corridors. And, you know, obviously that'd been one of the things that they weren't doing, you know, when previous inspection. So, you know, holding the door open for visitors, teaching them how to ask them about their day. You know, so like sometimes it feels like I'm part in the Red Sea when I walk down because we've got a long corridor with all these double doors and you walk down and all the kids are desperate to open all the doors and you walk down, you don't have to touch a door. It's brilliant. Um, but, you know, it is that element of building that aspiration into the children and teaching them those basic values and stuff that they haven't got at home. And when you start working on those little bits, then that starts to filter into the classroom. And again, talking about that story, the kids almost start to police themselves a little bit because, you know, if they want to be the best at whatever it is that they're going to do, then they start to check each other. They go, don't do that one, best school in the world. And bit by bit, it starts to fold in. And obviously you need consistent kind of behaviour policies and 
and ways of referring children in for additional support and things like that. You know, there's an element of that, but it does come back again to that whole vision and the story and the expectations that you've got. And it's just talking that all the time, you know, if I walked past the coat room and there was a coat on the floor, I'd go and pick it up and I'd talk to children about it. You know, if I walked down the corridor and someone didn't open the door for me, I'd mention it and I'd say, oh, I opened the door for you. You should do that back. You know, and, and teaching the staff to model that and, and kind of just pulling each other up and, and setting it as challenges each week about, you know, we're going to be looking at this and I'm going to be rewarding kids that do that. And bit by bit, it just becomes habit. And I think that's, that, that is, that's the key, isn't it? What you want is you want those you know, those behaviours and those attitudes to just become habit of the organisation or, you know, the school that you're working in. And, you know, it, it comes down to that developing habits, I suppose. So did you start to reward then? That's an interesting thing that you, as you leave school, you go into the business world and often companies reward financial performance, not behaviours. So did you start to reward children's behaviours in a positive way? So they start to go, OK, when I behave like that, that is noticed. I get attention from that rather than, you know, always told when I'm not doing things so well, I get rewarded when I do do things. Was that a strategy that you implemented? Yeah, I mean, there's a massive thing in education and it's a bit of a bugbear for me, so I won't get my soapbox. But um, they basically, like anything for reward basis, there's a big like, argument between whether children should just be intrinsically motivated to do something or whether there's an element of reward. Now, my argument is, I mean, I love my job, but if I didn't get paid, I probably wouldn't be as passionate about it as I am you know like everything in life that we do we do for a reward and 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 that sounds a little bit over the top but even when you give someone or you do something nice for someone you get something from it because you don't just do it and there's no feeling like when you've done something nice for someone you get that positive feeling about yourself that you've done yeah so there is always in everything that in my opinion a lot of the things that we do there's always an element of reward somehow whether that be through the way that you feel or through some kind of um, you know reward that you get either through things that you can buy or things that you can see or experiences um, so I haven't got a massive deal with that and I you know I, I pushed that a little bit but one thing that I really did try to do is because there's a huge thing about just rewarding the sweets because you know there's all the obesity arguments and if you do that you're in trouble for that and if you do that you're in trouble for that so you just have to kind of stay clear but you know we rewarded kids with um, what we called like um they have like gold, they had like what we call a, a golden reward time. So when they earned their 10, 10 gold stars that they got for following our aspirations and values, um, they, they got to sign up to what we call a star treat. And all of those things were relationship based. So they'd be like um, a pizza party with me, football with Mr. Groves, forest school with Mr. Lovelidge, um, you know, uh, sewing with, uh, with Mrs. Glover. And they basically they had like five or six things that they could choose from. So they come and sign up and it was a relationship thing with a member of staff, usually from the leadership team that wasn't necessarily spending every day with them. Um, and again, it just fostered that strong relationship element with, with people across school. I mean, I've, I've done loads of things. I've had the makeup done by the girls because that's what they wanted to do. You know, they... <laughs> I've run a nail bar where I painted 35 kids nails on a, on a Friday afternoon, you know, so, you know, all of those things, I mean, trying to get the nail varnish around all the staff, has anyone got any, you know, but it's, you know, but it's those things. That's and brilliant. It's buying, um, and that, you know, that, that for me was the, the element of that kind of positive element that links into building again, that community and that sense of a family and a school and, you know, everyone in it together aiming for the same thing. And, you know, I think that's pretty clear. And I think anyone that, visits the school even after this period of time that's just evident I mean 
Currently, in my current job, I work across um, two, two, three schools, even more, you know, but currently I'm in, in two. And, like, you know, without kind of looking, you can see the difference just because that school is nowhere near as far down on its journey. So during COVID, basically anything that needed to be done, staff have just gone, tell us what you want us to do, we'll do it. If you need extra, we'll do it because it's for the kids and it's for the school. The other school's been a little bit more challenging. And, you, it, again, it comes down just to that the ethos and the the values that you created in that organization you know i don't have to say anything in that school it just happens you know and you want so amazing so great and uh, so so powerful what you're talking about then and honestly i i know i really truly believe that if the, the world would be a lot greater place if businesses adopted rewarding behaviors and hat and and if businesses started to adopt re- rewarding and recognizing trust loyalty honesty openness the values and start to reward that rather than what targets have you hit there's an extra thousand pound yeah there'd be a different culture because you you're showing there at grassroots level that rewarding that child for hanging his coat up he's going to do that more often it's the same we're all big children inside that we work for a company and the owner of the company says do you know what luke today you've won a star and that 10 stars means that you get half a day to go and work with a charity or whatever that is, something that you, because you're right, when you give, you receive in a, in a feeling way. It's not all about financial. It's about what I receive in an emotive way too. I think that the businesses, and, and you, when you go to companies that do this and live like this, you can sense it too. That yes, obviously money is a necessity. However, when you reward on behaviors and values and the way people interact and take care of each other, that's where you get the real powerful cultures. It's not the easiest. It's easier to have kind of just do that and I'll give you a little bit more for doing it rather than I want to do more because I buy into what you've got. And this is the only certificate, the only thing I have anywhere. And this is from my daughter's school and you won't be able to read it there, but it says um, school merit, Sienna Staten for a fantastic attitude in all that she does. Now I'm saying to her, that is the best award you can ever win in your life. You know, that is better than anything else, any paycheck, anything, because if you do that every day, you'll do well. And people within companies often will only perform when they get something in terms of, I'll do that if I get this in terms of financial. And I believe that's where the culture becomes not so great because it's about me, myself and I. It's not about the bigger picture. What you've created is absolutely magnificent. Like the way that you've done nail bars and let children put makeup on you and you, you're walking down the corridors, the kids are opening the door and you're having pizzas as rewards with relationship-based. I mean, it excites me. You can probably tell that it really inspires me to know that there's people out there that have got that outlook that you've got in education. I honestly think that this could literally be picked up what you've done, obviously tweak slightly and take it to that company, take it to that company, Take it to that company because if you're running my team and I have a business and somebody challenges you and you throw it back to them and go, okay, what, what's your thoughts? I think we should do this. Brilliant idea. You're like, he's like your best mate now. You're, and so, so clever what you've done without, without actually always knowing what you was doing. You kind of responded in the moment, haven't you? And gone with it. And it's not been about you. It's not been about your ego. It's been about the vision of the children, the school, the parents, the teachers. So you deserve all the success that you've had. And a question I would ask to you is where you are now at such a young age, where do you go? Like, where do you take this skill that you've got and this gift? Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, most of the time it's just survival, isn't it? <laughs> you just get through another day. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I haven't 
really thought about it, thought about it in as much depth really. Um, I think it's hard, and I'd say that's that's been probably a, a challenge and a difficult time. I think COVID's probably brought that home. It, it, it does wear quite tiring after a while, you know, that that responsibility, and obviously doing that at quite a young age, you know, it, it does, you know, you start to get a little bit kind of tired of, you know trying to be that person because it's that you know I've got this saying for for leaders where I always say like you know it's um I I read it somewhere and it was like and we create the weather in our schools or you know in our environment and it is that bit and you know when you are the leader you've you've got to be out there you've got to be almost putting on that front all the time and that you know that can that can be quite challenging over over a period of time and I suppose for me it's just that so like in terms of the journey of my job you know it has changed so you know, one of the things that I was really keen to do at Benjamin Adelaide was because we, you know, I felt like I put a lot of work into it and it wasn't just me. It was the staff, an amazing team, like, you know, but I put my heart and soul and, you know, every Saturday, Sunday at the time I was sleeping there in, in the first year overnight and stuff just to try and get the work done and get caught up. So, you know, you put all that effort in. The last thing that I wanted to see was that if I moved on to do something else, it would just dip again or, you know, someone else would come in. So, I, I kind of made a change. The trust that I worked for asked me to take on a, another school as well and become like an executive head teacher there. So I appointed a, a lad called Luke, who I knew really well from a school locally, and, and I went to university with him. And you know, he had got very similar ethos and values to me. So he's he's coming as head of school, and you know, he started to develop that now, and I'm kind of training him up to keep that, you know, that relationship and those those kind of attitudes and those things going. So it's that you know element of creating that legacy because the last thing that I wanted was just to disappear and I don't think it would have done because of the quality of the staff that are there but you know if someone came in like you said Luke at the start with a real specific way of of speaking to them it probably would have lost them and you could lose that kind of approach and the vision so you know so we've got Luke in there now so he's doing a great job of that and I'm I'm trying to support some of the other schools and the trust and working as associate education director as well but still at Benji's probably two and a half days a week and always on the phone just checking things are all right because a bit of control freak but um yeah. <laughs> that's a high thing letting go but I suppose for yeah. me it's just um so it's trying to do as much as I can to support other schools and support other people to try and put some things in place for the children you know and I, I do miss being with the children as much I must admit that's one of the the, the downsides of, of of moving you know up the, up the ladder that I still you know, I mean, I was on top of the roof dropping parachutes off the other day, but, you know, I only get those little incidents now and again, rather than the, the day-to-day, every element yeah. of the children. Yeah, so I suppose working on that and coaching other people and supporting other heads. I've supported a lot of new people coming into the role, um, supporting new heads and, and helping them to start up. And I suppose long-term, that'll be, you know, something that I'd quite like to work on is in coaching kind of leaders and and, and working in leadership and, and developing some of those theories. But, you know, yeah. quite practical in the way that I do it so it's it's difficult I'm not massive into all the models and books and and bits and pieces but don't tell the kids that well <laughs> you, you uh, yeah I, well, I remember you saying the other day that the book Legacy by James Kerr leadership book so if anybody's not read that it's an amazing book by about news and all blacks I think you're right that's really relatable to everyday people in everyday life and I think the often people often say you can really tell when someone's done a really amazing job within a culture of an organisation that when they've gone, it continues. So it's not about now I'm gone, it all falls. It's about now I'm gone, it continues because we've built a really strong foundation. It sounds like that you've done that and you've gradually kind of lessened your time there, but the, the legacy continues of what you've created. It's amazing. What I'm going to do now, Sam, is just give anybody the opportunity um, to ask anything that they would like to 
because I'm sure some people will have some interesting and fascinating questions on whatever topic they may like to ask. And um, who would like to go first, guys? Please feel free to unmute and just jump in there. Go for it, mate. Uh, Sam, what do you think the perception of your staff and your pupils for the school would say about you? Oh, that's always a horrible one to answer, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I want, the one thing that I'm, I'm quite, well, I know that they'd say, because I, I have asked them before, just because like on kind of private surveys and stuff where I don't get to know who said it, but um, one of the, the, the things that they do say is that I would never ask any of them to do anything that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I've been out on the roof with, uh, with a bin bag over my head in my suit, trying to fix the roof to stop it from leaking and things like that in the pouring down rain. And, you know, I've salted the playground and, you know, in me, in me best winkle pickers, at, you know, when, when the caretaker's been off and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that they very much kind of go down that route. Um, I think, I'd like to say that I think that they, they would say that I've, I've been able to inspire them a little bit. And, you know, in the Ofsted report, and I think it's still one of the, the nicest comments, actually, when we got the Ofsted report for the first time when the school moved, because within a year, it moved from special measures to good, which is kind of quite, it was quite a big thing at the time to move yeah. so quickly. Um, you know, so so that was huge. And, and, and reading through the report, because we don't get to read it when it first, obviously we get kind of, they tell us the rough out kind of, outcomes of it and then we get the report and they'd interviewed one of the teachers and one of the teachers said then just really simply that just like um the appointment of, of sam the new head of school you just made us believe we could do it um and that that was quite a powerful powerful kind of thing i think so i'd like to think they'd say that um yeah i just you know that it's just that i think they just know that i'm i've been in it for them and you know that i take time to listen to them spend you know spend time with them um, and, and I'm ambitious for the school and ambitious for what they can achieve. And, you know, I think I think they would say all of those things. Um, they'd probably say that I'm a little bit of a perfectionist at times. Um, uh, but, you know, in, uh, in, in the element of always wanting to strive for them to be the best. But there's a little bit of that that's in me, but there's a little bit of that that I feel like that that's owed to them as well. You know, I think they've had such a rough time. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of them being owed that success. Um, so, yeah, so... I'd, I'd like to say they'd say those things and um, probably say that I get myself in trouble for talking too much or swearing, <laughs> at, swearing at heads events and stuff that I shouldn't do. But, you know, that, that's part of it, I think. Love I, it. Great question, I, Bill. I would just like to say, I think you, the biggest thing that you achieved there was getting the buy-in, not just from the staff, but from the kids. Yeah. I think that's been massive for you. Yeah, uh, the, the kids are great. I mean, they're the, they're the easiest bit. <laughs> they're, the, they're, they're the best bit. <laughs> well done, mate. Love, love it. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Anybody else, guys? Anybody else got anything like to ask? I've got one, Luke, actually. Go for it, mate. Can I just say, Sam, I think you're absolute inspiration, mate. I think it's fantastic what you're doing there. Um, one thing I'd like to ask you is, it's obvious that you put everything into this um, in terms of your heart and soul into the job. And you've, you've talked there about at times it gets a little bit tiring and, you know, have you got the energy to do this forever? And, and I, can, I can definitely align with that as well. How do you deal with disappointment? Um, because I think quite often when you give so much, it's very easy to become disappointed if people um, aren't buying in or if they're not um, 
sort of toe in the line, if you like. And you can you can take sometimes take it quite personally. Um, so how do you deal with that? I mean, if I'm really honest with you, badly. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I think that I think that's you know fair, and I, you know, I could I could sit here and say, yeah, I deal with it perfectly, and you know, I've got this strategy for it, and I, I don't. Um, and and I think if I'm being really you know honest with you about that, that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I have. Um, is that you know I do really struggle with that anything goes wrong or you know and I take everything personally so you know even if a parent makes a flippant comment about the fact that you know we we taught something wrong like you know like if I don't know teaching about healthy foods and you know one of the teachers has said sugar goes on the bad list and they've decided that not all sugars are bad some of them are good and they write me an email about it you know it actually gets to me and I partly when I reflect on it I think you know it's not really that big a deal in the grand scheme of things but you know in that instant in that moment you know, I, I'm gutted because I've set those kind of standards and expectations so high of, of myself and of the school. And um, you know, I don't, I don't always find that find that easy. I mean, I try and talk that through with people and try and get them to tell me that I'm stupid. And um, Anna's on the call actually, so I think Luke invited her in just to embarrass me. So Anna's my unfortunate other half who has to put up with uh, put up with me, uh, you know, being miserable or you know having a down day over stuff when when it isn't quite going right. Um, but yeah, I think that's a massive, massive challenge. And I suppose it's trying to flip it, isn't it, onto the positives and being resilient and, and trying to think about, you know, in those worst moments is what the positive elements are and trying to unpick the successes that you have had and, you know, not necessarily focusing on the negative. But I think I think that is a quality of, you know, quite a lot of good leaders really is that, you know, you're automatically drawn to the negative things that happen rather than the positive things that are happening because you want everything to be so good. But I think it's equally trying to understand that, you know, any journey of success of any organisation or anything that you're working with is a journey and it kind of goes up and down. And, you know, it's, you know, amazing one day, not quite the same the next day, then another day will be up here and then another day will fall down there. And it's yeah. just trying to understand that that journey doesn't just flow from, you know, zero to the top of the mountain. There's bits and peaks and troughs on the way up. And I think it's just, trying and I'm not very good at it but I'm just trying to give that advice just trying to be kind to yourself about that really a little bit and just not beating yourself up too much about you know those little things because you know you can't influence everything all the time I mean anyone in any form of leadership role you know as much as you want to have that control you just cannot control everything all the time Um, and you know people unfortunately you know might make a mistake that you think oh god if I was just dealing with that it'd been easier but people have to learn on that journey as well Um, and in order for them to get better they've got to kind of you know, have those mistakes talked through. And I suppose the things that we fail at and the things that we make mistakes at, they go on to make us better and deal with a situation the next time even better. So probably try not to be too hard on yourself, I think. <laughs> I think I think that's a great answer. And, um, you know, obviously I think I could talk about this because it's something that I've definitely gone through. Um, one thing that Luke has spoken about before with me, and he, I think he mentioned in recent Instagram Live with David Dunn, is the Man in the Mirror um, uh, poem. Um, which I think is really relevant with this, is that um, I get to a point where I just kind of look at the situation, I think of everything that I could possibly do for that. Um, and you look at the man in the mirror, and if, as long as, as that person says that you've done everything you can, then you can you can lay your head on the pillow. So that's maybe one thing that, uh, that whiskey, may help you. I don't know. Whiskey helps me as well, but that's probably not an approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't remember. Yeah, it won that yeah. back yesterday. <laughs> really appreciate it.
Anybody else, guys? Great question, Paul. Anybody else got anything they'd like to ask or share? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Who's this? Is this Claudia? It is. <laughs> Go for it, Claudia. Um, okay, so with your kind of background with your own schooling years and not kind of knowing, well, not thinking that you'd ever be a teacher, was there any limiting beliefs that you had from anything that anyone had said to you? Or, you know, did you ever feel like, the imposter syndrome or like something that was holding you at any point even though you realized you had that relationship kind of like being able to just chat to people and like have that was there anything that was like I don't know if I can do this yeah so uh, a couple of bits and then I've, I've got a nice story about that one as well though but um yeah so some of the academic stuff I must admit I was quite anxious about so when I started at university you know it, I'd always been all right, but I was always one of those kids that just did enough. And to be honest, I never pushed myself. And, you know, I probably could have done better if I tried to. But at the time, I'll, I'll be honest, I was more interested in earning a bit of extra money working at the pub like than doing my A-levels or, you know, going out and stuff like that. So it wasn't, you know, a massive, massive focus. And then when I started at university, I did. And in the first three months I was there, I nearly dropped out, actually, because I just thought, I'm not sure I can do this. Like, they were setting these assignments and asking us to do referencing. I'd never even heard of referencing. I thought, I'm not, you know, I ain't got a clue. And I was almost too proud to go and ask anyone because I thought, you know, everyone will think I'm an idiot. You know, but I, I sat with a tutor, actually, a, a guy called Richard, and he, he was he was a massive inspiration, actually. He was a great, great lecturer. But his was all about relationships and all the other tutors talked about academic progress and stuff. And I really got him. And I was just really lucky that he ended up being named as like my personal like one-to-one tutor. So I had a little chat with him and he taught me through and he kind of convinced me that I should stay, which was, in, I mean, it was a pretty good decision, I think, long-term. But, you know, it was one of those things that was touch and go. And so I did have that doubt and, and all the way through, I think still even now, I have that kind of imposter syndrome that someone's going to turn up and say, yeah, you're not really right for this. You know, you're not really what head teaching material is or, you know, whatever, and you need to go and do something else. I mean, one of the best best stories that that is that uh, so my um, head of head of house when I was at secondary school, I, I kind of thought I you know could be a little bit of a leader. So we had the uh, voting for um, you know when you have like head boys and deputy head boys. So I stupidly applied for the, the the I thought I'd apply for the deputy head boy because I thought I got a chance of that. I thought there's no chance I'm gonna get a head boy, but I'll apply for the deputy. And no one will probably apply for it. It was a bit of a rough school. Didn't think anyone really want to do it. Um, and he kind of t- sat me down and, and, and went through all the red forms that I'd got. And he was like, nah, you, you're not you're not capable of doing that. You're probably not really, really going to be capable of doing much, if I'm honest with you. Kind of Irish guy, a bit of a joke. Um, he's now responsible for the virtual schools in Lincolnshire and I had to deliver some training to him the other week and about, about kind of improving standards and stuff. So we've had a little bit of a sw- switch around. So he went from being my head of house to me delivering the training. And, you know, that was that was quite a nice moment, if I'm honest. I was like, you remember, Mr. Barnes, when you said that I was just never going to make anything. Oh, now the tables have turned. So that was a nice moment. But yeah, um, I think that imposter syndrome happens, you know, throughout, throughout anyone's career, I think. And, you know, it's just... Just trying to fight, I think. I mean, I think we all feel like that, if we're honest. Mm. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you, Claudia. Brilliant question. Did Mr Barnes admit it? Yeah, yeah, he still laughs about it now. <laughs> he, still can't, he still can't believe it every time he sees me, he goes... And then he jokes at the end of it, he goes, I always thought you had potential, really. I was just trying to bring it out of you. I was like, yeah, we've all said that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. He's, taking credit, he's taking credit for it now. 
yeah, yeah. Tell everybody now. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> if, if it weren't for me, Sam wouldn't be where he is today. He yeah, does do that on, on the conferences, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else, guys, got anything they'd like to add or say before it's time to say goodnight? Yeah, just a quick one, Lou. Go for it, mate. Uh, first of all, cheers, uh, Sam. I've, t- I've actually taken like page full of notes on this one <laughs> because the job, obviously, that you do is similar to what uh, we do. Um, but the question I've got is, what were the book that you were mentioning that you mentioned uh, between yourself and Luke? Uh, you book. know the motivational book that you said. Uh, the, the book, the book, Legacy. Yeah, yeah. Who's that yeah. by? Yeah, so it's um, Legacy by James Kerr. Um, so James James Kerr he, he um, went and spent like um, a few weeks with the All Blacks rugby team, and it's just all about like high performing teams. But the reason why I like it, and just talk to Luke, is hey, I'm not really a big reader, um, so it's pretty pretty easy to read and it's pretty broken down. So it's not it's not ridiculous, but it's just they're practical. Like he's got things like like the New Zealand All Blacks after every game, regardless of how high profile players they are. One of the All Blacks theories is that they have to clean the changing room up after they all sweep it down. You know, and 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 that's part of their respect element, and that kind of comes into the cloakroom stuff. Um, also, some stuff on growth stuff. So, you know, in teaching, we always talked about um, we always talked about strengths and weaknesses. So, in that, it talks about New Zealand all blacks talk about um, areas for growth and excellence. So, we changed all of our monitoring to focus on things that were excellent, and then just areas for growth. So, it's not a weakness; it's just something that you can grow into. And just little changes like that, and it's, it's dead practical, really subtle, um, but it's a good read if you're into the sports stuff as well. Um, and you know, it, it just just really simple. And and I was lucky enough of saying to Luke, I was, I mean, I probably would have never have read it because I don't tend to pick up books, if I'm honest. And that's really bad. I get told I should all the time, but I don't. But I, I was lucky enough to go to a conference, and James Kerr was talking about it, and it was just the hour of him talking. I was like, I've got to read that, and I'm pleased I did because I think it's probably. The, you know, I, I mean, I haven't really got much up my locker. So anytime anyone comes in and wants some leadership advice, I'm like, is, is this book going to read that? <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, it, it's, it's a good read. Yeah, perfect. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, mate. Anybody else, guys? Me, <laughs> Becky. Hello, Becky. Go for it. Hi. So it, how, obviously, when you're setting standards and you're setting your ethos and your values and everything within your school, but you had a gap between what you were trying to set within your kind of environment to then what messages and other things were going on at, at home. So how long did it take for the children to kind of listen? Because obviously there will have been almost two different bits of messages. And then for also those parents to then yeah. get on side kind of as well. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And that was one of the most challenging challenging parts, actually. And, you know, it, it's still it's still a challenge, actually, because parents are still, obviously, the standard of parenting is, is and not to be critical to our parents because I love them to bits, but it isn't perfect by a long way. Um, but actually, they've bought into the, the, the idea of the school. So where it is, there's not a lot else about. So the school runs everything parental support. So we run food bank from school. We run uniform bank from school. We run, you know, adult learning projects for people that are out of work, you know, in the forest school. Um, so we run loads and loads of community events. We've got family support worker that does like cooking stuff. She works on, you know, we've got a, a member of staff that will fill in forms and help them fill in out, you know, forms that they can't fill in and stuff like that. So we've built that wraparound around them. Um, and I think that was the problem first as well. So the previous kind of leadership had been very much like, 
home's rubbish, school we can make it a bit different, but there's no real point in communicating with the parents because they won't do anything about it. What we've kind of gone down with the approach of, this is our school, this is our community school, and actually you're as equally much a part of this as the children are. So when we win the award for being the best school in the UK, you've won the award for being the best school in the UK. Like, you know, when parents came in, you know, it was brilliant. As part of the judging, and I get, I'm lucky enough now that I get to judge actually that award, but um, parents, you know, came in and spoke to the people that were judging it at the time, and we had parents crying, the judges were crying like about the support and stuff that school put in. And, you know, it's just... I think it is that buy-in and understanding that it's a little bit deeper than just working with the initial kind of group of people that you're working with. It goes further than that. You know, like I say, first parents spent, no one turned up. So my first parents evening, what I decided that I would do is that I'd worked out, I think food was going to be a good, good engagement. So the first parents evening, we said, if you come to parents evening, you can have a meal with your family. So we, we, we got a catering company in and if they came to parents evening, they got to sit down and have a meal with the family, look at the kids' work, you know, and we had a massive turnaround. Did that second and third time, started coming. Next time I was able to say to him, this money would be a little bit better spent if we could spend it on your kids' education. We'll still do teas and coffees and a little conference in the hall, but we're not going to do the meal this time, but we still really want you to come. Exactly the same amount of parents came. you know. So then you wean them off that, but actually they're then weaned into the, the, the kind of buying of the school and it's that lack of judgment you know again and and teachers aren't always the best at this you know you can't always judge can't always judge everyone else by your own standards necessarily like you can have those high aspirations for pupils but you can also understand that not everybody's living in the same world and we shouldn't judge someone because they dress a certain way or they speak in a certain way you know and I'll you know I've, I've had dads on the playground and been monkey scrubbing on the playground telling them that they're worse than the kid and stuff like that you know and that element of like kind of sense of humor with our parents really really works and being on the gate and joking with them you know and you know I can't. I wouldn't necessarily be able to go and deploy that in another school in another environment because if I did that to a parent in another school, they'd be like, "What on earth are you doing? Get off me!" But it's understanding that our parents are still like those little kids that've got those negative experiences of school. So it's trying to relate again what you're trying to build into using the best of that to get the best for the children and for the, for the best for the community. So you know, I think it. I think it's just being adaptable and understanding that and, and supporting that. And you know, our parents when we when we won. The gold award was on BBC Two, which was um, we kind of did it on this. It was on the Sunday night we went to an award and they did the filming and stuff, and we knew we'd won the award and it kind of went out in the paper. But it was then shown on BBC Two the following weekend. We had a party at school with all the teachers and staff to watch it and kind of buffet and all of that. But then all the kids and all the families were like on Twitter and they were watching it and there was kids sending videos of them like celebrating and crying and stuff. And it, you know, it just became that whole whole school film. I mean, I'm getting a bit half crying in the next because I still get a bit welled up by it to be honest but um it is that just um it's that absolute kind of you know buy into that vision and, and everything and you know bit by bit the parents start to please themselves and they they do things that you know surprise you and you know they want to get involved in stuff and they run fundraising committees and all of a sudden it just starts to fall into place and I think it's just giving people a place and an organization that that they want to belong to they want to be part of it they want to they want to want you know they want to say our kids come to Benjamin Adler and and and, and we're part of that and and they're proud of it and I think that's I think that's all we can do really in any any organization yeah amazing I think when you were saying it all the, the thing that I thought was you gave them a sense of belonging so once yeah. you'd got the kids you actually gave the parents a sense of belonging as well 
and that's quite a real and then that's quite a really powerful thing so yeah. I, I think what you've, what, what you've done is absolutely incredible your ethos and your values match very much what what I stand for and I just think that if every head teacher was like you I think the education system would be a lot better and I think it'd be, I think it'd be for a lot of these children trying to do all types of random stuff that would get us in trouble but no but yeah I I mean I, like you said about that sense of belonging the irony is it almost back it kind of does a loophole though because it, it gives you and the staff a sense of belonging as well like you know you, you all become part of it and you know you find yourself just doing the most random stuff for you know random families because they come part of it like I've been in houses like fixing the back doors and like trying to sort out a cooker and stuff like that and moving a washing machine that they haven't got from one place to another and trying to fit it at seven o'clock in the night because that's just what they you know because it becomes part of it and it and you know you you do it because you want to do it not because it's you know part of a job it just becomes part of what you do every day and it you know that, that that's when they're the best bits of the job to be honest well, I think you're very incredible <laughs> I'm not great sure. question Becky Great question, Becky. And it's great, Sam, that people are seeing things that kind of in yourself and what you probably don't give yourself enough of a pat on the back for, back to the English culture of, you know, just it's just what I do type thing. It's like... Underestimate over deliver, Luke. That's the theory. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got written down here one of your mantras and I, I read it on your bio. It says, it's not magic, it's about caring. How simple is that? Well, yeah, well, and I think that is the thing. Sometimes we do try and overcomplicate leadership and we overcomplicate things. And sometimes it's just about stripping it back to the simple stuff. You know, and one of the best, you know, best advice I give as well is just take time to listen to people, you know, because sometimes we're so busy in the job or, or whatever job we're doing and we're like trying to get our lists and our job list ticked off. But sometimes someone just needs 20 minutes to talk to you about something that's going on in their life. But actually, that twenty-minute of investment in 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 knowing about them and talking to them means that they'll kind of walk on glass for you at another point. So, you know, I think it's just, you know, it's the same like with our cleaning team. The cleaning teams and and the site management teams are like to me the most important people because we're at school they don't open. You know, and I spend every time I make sure when I'm walking out, I chat with the cleaners, check how they're getting on. You know, tell them that the most important people in the school. You know, and and those little bits and pieces like that because they're the people that hold it together and actually it's sometimes the people that we don't necessarily think that we should value as much are the ones that are the ones that will be singing your praises when your back's against the wall and they're the ones that tend to come good so I think it is you know sometimes just focusing on giving everybody in the organization a bit of time when they need it and you can't do that every day every week you know there isn't enough time in, in in the calendar but you know you'll get to know the staff that need it and the, the people that need certain 20 minutes here and 20 minutes there and you know, it's just important that you make time in your day to do that, I think, because it, it pays pays for you long term. Amazing, Sam. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for giving up your time to come on here. I know it's a really challenging time for you right now, overseeing schools and children, parents, teachers and all that stuff in your own life too. And thank you so much for giving so much of your time. And you can see your authenticity, your passion and your drive to make a difference. And you've not just changed children's lives. It sounds to me like you've galvanised a community of which you've done and a, like Becky said there, you give people a sense of belonging and we all want to be connected and belong to something somewhere. And I think what you've done there is just nothing other than magical. And you say it's not about magic, it's about caring, but you've created magic through caring. And it's a beautiful thing what you've done. And I really 
can only echo what Becky said there. That if if the world had many more head teachers like yourself, that we wouldn't have adults sometimes of which we see today in society because you, you, you're working with them at such a young age. And I really admire what you've done. I admire you for the way that you've done it. And I, and I admire your desire to keep making a difference. It really is inspirational and very powerful. It really is amazing. Someone like me who's really inspired by work with young people, I look to you and I'm like, wow, look what's possible when you really do these kind of things within the environment. It's, it's just an amazing thing. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving That's your brilliant. time. and. Hopefully, at some point, you'll be bringing out a book, which I think would be amazing read of what you've done here. And you, you probably look like that and pull that face, but everybody on here will probably be thinking the same thing that it's about time you got that book brought out because what you've done there is, is marvelous. And I would certainly read it too. And from me and everybody on here, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the From Nowhere to Somewhere podcast. I'd be really honoured, grateful and super appreciate any shares and subscribes possible. Please give this to any family, friends and loved ones anywhere in the world that you feel could take value from what you've just heard too. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to speaking to you real soon on the next episode. From me to you, have a wonderful day. Take care. All my love, energy, inspiration. Luke Staten.